This episode of Quite Unusual is brought to you by author E.S. Kern in the release of his highly anticipated sequel in his book series, Spirits of Salem. Spirits of Salem Book 2, The After, continues the story of Sybil Aldgate, a young hedge witch descendant from the witches of Salem. This time, Sybil is back, stronger and feeling more confident than ever in her evolving abilities. Following her showdown against the witch-killing shade, Sybil Aldgate was freed to go about her life. Still struggling with the loss of Amara Baker, a loved one from his past, Aiden asked Sybil to fetch her, as she had done so many countless times before. However, this threatens a wholesale breach in the after's veil, a barrier that separates the world of the living and the dead. A strange and dangerous new entity now stalks the burgeoning hedgewitch, seemingly hijacking her newfound powers to cause harm to others. How long until the veil finally breaks? And can Sybil stop it before this new enemy destroys her for good? All will be revealed in time. Available on Amazon and Kindle, March 2022. The first of the series, Spirits of Salem, The Shade, is available now. Where will you be when worlds collide? Quite unusual. I ate drugs last night um, at your, like, suggestion. You said you felt so good the day before. Oh, yeah. I feel fucking amazing. Yeah. I slept eight and a half hours, yeah. like, straight through, except I panicked in the middle of the night. I woke up, and I was, like, they were, like, still hitting, and I woke up, and I was, like, I'm really high. <laughs> still hitting. I, like, yeah, it was only, like, two hours after, like, I actually went uh-huh. to sleep, and I woke up, and I was, like, <gasps> and I stood up really fast, and I don't know why. Did you get dizzy? Um... No, I was just like, I'm high. And I was just standing in my room. I was like, why did I just wake up? It's like, it was for something, but I don't remember what it was. And then I went out into the living room. I was like, I'll just get some water. And I stepped in cat throw up. Ooh, yum. And I wonder if I heard your cat throwing up and it woke Probably. me up. She does, she does like the... <laughs> Stop it, I hate it so much. It like it sounds like a woman is... Like in distress. Yeah, it's, a, it's so fucking weird. But yeah, I've yeah. heard that before. So I wonder if like I heard it in my sleep and like mm-hmm. panicked and like woke up because I jumped out of bed and I was like... <gasps> and I was like, wait, why am I standing? Delicious cat puke. Yeah, delicious cat puke. All over my toes at two in the morning. Well, anyways... Oh, sorry, are we recording? We have been recording. Oh, no. Um, this is... <laughs> Welcome to the Quite Unusual Podcast. <laughs> um, I guess we're going to try out a new... I'm just going to pl- press record and then just see what we Shit. say and yes. not tell you. And then that'll just be like mm. our intro. Yeah. But anyways... Welcome to the Quite Unusual Podcast. The welcome. podcast in which we just uh, spill our most intimate cat puke moments yeah. into and the ether. It's 2022. We're back. We're back, baby. It's a new year. A new QU. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like... 2022 is just an extension of 2020 at this point. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's basically the third installment of 2020. Whoa. So. Whoa. So. Whoa. So. Okay. 2022 is just like 20 to 20 to Tokyo Drift. 20 to Tokyo Drift. To Tokyo Drift. That's so. Oh, yeah. I'm putting that on a shirt. 2020 to Tokyo Drift. To Tokyo Drift. Where we are all Han. And we're just waiting to die. Or no. are we dead? Oh. Uh, 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 uh. I don't know. Did that last one come out? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen like the last three. No. Oh. That's what we should marathon. 
Okay. We should eat drugs and then marathon. Not <laughs> not Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Well, both. Separate weekends, but okay. Do hear both. me out. We'll watch one Ace Ventura movie and then mm-hmm. the first Fast and the Furious and then another Ace Ventura movie and then the second Fast and the okay. Furious. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And then when we run out of Ace Ventura, we'll sub in like um, Ernest Goes to Camp. Oh, that's another one I haven't seen in like a long ass time. Those do hold up because I they watched do. one not that long ago. All right. Yeah. Okay. It was like on in the background while I was like doing adult things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, I think it was Ernest Scared Stupid. How many Ernest movies are there? Too many? The limit does not exist. It's just, (laughs) there's so many. Anything you can think of, Ernest did it. Yeah, he's done it. He went to camp. He's definitely done it. He got scared stupid. He's Um, never gone to space, though, has he? I don't think so. And now the guy that played Ernest is no longer with us. So, yeah. Ernest goes to heaven. (gasps) The last and final installment. (laughs) Does he go to heaven? I don't know. Ernest, it's just like Ernest in purgatory. (laughs) Ernest. Ernest stuck in purgatory. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I would watch that freeing Ernest's soul. Yeah, I would want. I would do that. I would go on a side quest to free Ernest's soul mm-hmm. to let him go to heaven. He deserves it. He does. Ernest deserves to <laughs> go to heaven. Um, speaking of Ernest movies, going to heaven. Going. Speaking of Ernest <laughs> going to heaven, I would like to talk about an amazingly beautiful, probably the best thing i think oh. anyone has ever given us the like we held we held little thumper on like a pedestal oh, little thumper for the yeah. longest time he's up there he's up there. and i'm gonna say this parallels little thumper yeah and that's like the golden child we received a statue uh-huh. of mothman uh-huh. handcrafted handcrafted uh-huh and i'm looking at him right now I'm looking at him too. his beautiful, beautiful abs oh my god they're flexing his little fangs are look, i think my favorite part look at his little booty yeah and the booty it is beautiful so we just like to shout out claude because yes. fucking thank you so much it's unfucking real. He handmade this, and then also he made us like these little bookends. Yes, that are just like a butt. Yeah, it's just like little ass bookends. They're so fucking good. We'll post pictures of them on the grid. Um, mm-hmm. But wow, if I like like this is my child. Yeah, I love him. I remember we opened it and we were just like doing that thing where you like you scream because you're excited. That was just mm-hmm. like the whole time we were, opening it. We were running around the house screaming. <laughs> <laughs> but he's beautiful, and thank you so so much. He's going going to live in our studio, uh-huh. and we can so we can look at him. Mm-hmm. And actually, he should live right next to Little Thumper. He should. They look like they'd be bros. Yeah. So we can look at both of them uh-huh. while we record. And also, he's made of metal. So if there's ever an intruder, he could kill someone for us. He'll he'll fight. We them will for use us. him as a blunt object, and we will <laughs> smash a man's skull in. So yes. thank you. We just have to run upstairs in the attic first That's to grab right. him. Like, are you breaking into my house? Hold on for one minute. One second. There's please. something I want to show you. Yeah. Maybe he'll just appear downstairs because he, like, is he anticipating disaster. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He'll know. He'll be by the front door because yeah. he'll know. Yeah. Or wherever the guy breaks in. I'm assuming yeah. it's going to be a guy. Cause... It's for sure. <laughs> it's the wet bandits in my mind. So that's 100% his breaking into our house. Yeah. Yeah. He'll help us. Yeah. So beautiful. thank you for the home protection and thank you for this beautiful <laughs> man that just will... We're just going to look at his butt all day. All day, every day. Too hot Butts to and ab. Butt and abs. Ass and abs. Ass and abs. Ass and abs. <laughs> Anyways, 
we should probably get into what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think um, we so this week to kick us off for the year of 2022, 20 Tokyo Drift. 20 Tokyo Drift. <laughs> um, we are bringing you a murder story. Murder most foul. But also, it's also a fun one because it's not just a murder story. There's a little something else that happens before the murder story. But yeah, yeah I would I would quantify this as sort of fun. Sort of fun. I think it's sort of fun <laughs> in the way that we use the phrase sort of fun. Yeah. In a dark and fucked up sort of way. So today we are talking about a man named Daniel LaPlante, which I was calling Daniel LaPlante. Oh my God, dude. I was cracking up so hard. I was sitting, obviously everyone knows Nicole and I are, are roommates. Yep. Um, and I was sitting in my room and Nicole was in the living room and I hear like the the computer Google voice go, LaPlante, LaPlante. <laughs> LaPlante. And Nicole's like, oh. And oh my god, I was losing my shit, dude, because I knew exactly what you were doing. <laughs> I like LaPlante. I mean, I wasn't sure, but Google told me, and who knows, it could be LaPlante, but we're going to say LaPlante. We'll say LaPlante, La but just know in our hearts we're saying LaPlante. Yeah, we're saying LaPlante. It's cuter. We don't want to get shit on for pronouncing something wrong, even though it happens, so... We're not a grammar podcast. We're a geography podcast. Come on. Everybody knows. Everyone knows. So today we are bringing you the story of Daniel J. LaPlante. LaPlante. Was something in your throat? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Let's just take a sip of water here. Um, He is currently serving multiple life sentences for the murder of three people that happened in the late 1980s. Spoiler. This is a wild ride. It is. It is. So let's just... uh, Jump right into it, shall we? Let's dive in. All right. Daniel, nope, not Daniel. Daniel J. LaPlante was born. Please keep that in. Daniel. <laughs> Can we That's, just call him Daniel? That was a sister's name. Dan and Jan. Daniel and Daniel. <laughs> oh, man. Daniel J. LaPlante was born on May 15th, 1970. So he is a Taurus. Yeah, which uh, big Taurus know, energy. For I don't him. know much about Taurus. Um, our friend Kathleen's a Taurus. Okay. Um, I can't think of any other Tauruses that I know. <laughs> um, but this guy tracks for Taurus. I like okay. looks up like, yeah, it, it tracks. All right, cool. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, also, I could not find what the J stands for in Daniel J. Laplante. But I also didn't try super hard. I like Googled it like three times mm. and then couldn't find it and then gave up swiftly. So, what do you think the J stands it's for? Daniel Daniel <laughs> Laplante. Daniel Daniel Laplante. Okay, it has to be. I think so. There's then, no other word uh-huh. or name that could start with a J to be his middle name. You're right. And then his sister's name is Daniel Daniel. <laughs> Daniel Daniel. Uh-huh. And Daniel twins. Daniel. They're twins. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Daniel Daniel Laplante. <laughs> was raised in Townsend, Massachusetts, along with his two brothers, Stephen and Matthew. And his sister, Daniel. And his sister, Daniel. Not a ton of details were readily available about his childhood, but we do know that he was just, like, wildly unhappy. Like, it was not a good time for him. Mm -hmm. His father is said to have sexually and mentally abused him from a very young age. And when his parents split up and his mom, Elaine, remarried to a man named David Moore... David also abused Daniel sexually, physically, and mentally. So, super not great. 
He was diagnosed with dyslexia at an early age, but he wasn't given any additional support to, like, help overcome the learning disability, Mm -hmm. which, not to, like, I don't know, be this guy, but it was, like, the 70s. Yeah. And at that point, like, you didn't really get help with things like this. Like, even in the 90s, you didn't even really get help. Oh, for sure. If you, like, had a learning, like, were learning disabled. Yeah. They were just like, sorry, figure it out. Yeah, they'd, like put you in special ed and like give you Ritalin mm-hmm. and like that's all you got mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he suffered in school because of his learning disability he not only suffered academically but also socially he was known at the high school that he attended as being quote creepy and weird and he did not have many friends mm-hmm. he became reclusive and isolated even more so at school his very just poor home life bled into his school life and like social life in general he had very poor hygiene he was supposedly like super stinky he had really bad acne which if you look up a picture which we'll post on the grid as well yeah it's pretty bad it's like the worst teenage acne i think yeah he's got he's got pretty bad acne yeah he had really dirty clothes and just like an overall dirty appearance but he was neglected and abused at home right so like that it's not his fault no. You know? Yeah. The, I mean, we ha- we ha- talk about a lot of different murderers where, like, they're raised in a perfect home and they still murder. But this kid, like, he really didn't have a shot. No. Like, no. he was set up for fucking failure. Absolutely. Yeah, this is definitely the part of the show where I feel, like, super bad for the murderer mm-hmm. because his home life was just yeah. totally egregious. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I don't know. He didn't ask for his life, but whatever. During his early high school career, he had to go see a school psychiatrist after several students complained about his appearance. He was instructed to clean up and improve his overall sense of self and, quote, be more social. Oh, yeah, because that's just fucking easy. Just yeah. be more social. Yeah. The psychiatrist was like, why don't you take a shower, bud? And he was like, I don't have a shower at home. I don't just know. talk to make friends talk to people more why don't you just be normal <laughs> yeah that right? was their advice have you tried being normal just be normal it's so easy i'm doing it now <laughs> yeah so it's really good uh really helpful for him i'm mm-hmm. sure yeah it was then that daniel daniel was diagnosed with adhd which could have been like a real chance for this boy to kind of turn his life around Um, Because, you know, he's getting all these diagnoses. He's seeing a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. In theory, this should be super helpful. Mm -hmm. But it was just pretty much completely thrown out the window because his relationship with the psychiatrist went from just generally unhelpful to abusive. Yeah, the psychiatrist began to make sexual advances (sighs) towards Daniel. What is it about this kid? Like, three separate adults in his life. It's like... I don't know. Lightning striking fucking three times. I don't under... When I read that, I was like, how... This kid just, like, had the worst fucking luck. I know. Like, he can't win. It's, like, over and over. Yeah. The psychiatrist began sexually abusing Daniel when (sighs) he was around 14 years old. So, yeah, we're seeing a pattern of men sexually abusing this child when all he needs is fucking help and, like, a shower and, like, someone to love him. He's getting it at home and he's getting it at school. It's like, we're... Where does he have, like, he doesn't have any peace. No, no, there's, like, no safe space for him. And it, I don't know, it breaks my fucking heart, dude. At the age of 15, Daniel was well into the world of small-time breaking and entering, which I just want to pause for one second. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you heard that joke about beatings? The Dane Cook one? Yeah. yeah. It's like, I just, <laughs> just wanted to kick a door down. Yeah. And I feel that, like, in my heart of hearts, uh-huh. I, I want to do it too. I want to do a B&E because I want to kick a door down. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to take anything. I just want to, like, walk around and look yeah. and then leave. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to say something really personal right now okay. um, on public airwaves. <laughs> for uh, people, everyone to hear? For everyone in the world to hear. Um, when I was little, my favorite part of trick-or-treating was looking into people's houses. <laughs> you know what? That's what? not weird because I no? used to, yeah, I used to take my dogs for like a walk around my neighborhood and uh-huh. I would totally look into people's houses. Like when their windows were open, I'd yeah. be like, oh. That's a nice, that's a nice um, sofa they got there. Yeah. Like, you, oh. you're not like peeping Tom or like being no. weird or like going up to the windows. I, it was like the decorations and like how each like person like set up their house. Yeah. And, you know? It's like, if I can see in, like, sorry. Yeah. Your fucking blinds are open. Yeah. Sorry. You want, you want people to look. You want people to see you that want. vase that you put on your dining room table. Mm-hmm. You want people to see it. Yeah. And you want people to be in the end of your house and fucking take it. Or just walk in there and admire your decor. Yeah, yeah. Which is what I would do. That's what I would do. I'd be like, oh, nice. Like, leave post-it right. notes. Like, nice. <laughs> someone someone broke into our house. They didn't take anything, but they complimented our style. <laughs> this has been a, a string of complimenting burglaries. <laughs> Viennese. Bien- Nothing Bien- is taken. BNCs, breaking and complimenting. <laughs> hey. <laughs> So at this time, Daniel is doing regular B&Es where he's just breaking into people's houses and not complimenting them. Mm, He's taking things. Yeah. It also seems to be mostly for the thrill. He would steal like really small stuff from people's homes, but he would also sometimes leave things behind. Hmm. Like put things in there that weren't in the house before to kind of torment people. Like Mm, where the fuck did this come from? Like mess with people. Yeah. It was like he wanted people to know that someone had broken into their house. So he never stole large or particularly valuable items, just like random odds and ends. He seemed to find a lot of joy in what he would later describe as, quote, psychological torment of people. Okay. So he would do like super annoying shit, like take all of the toilet paper in the house and like put it under the kitchen sink. So, like, you don't know where the toilet paper went. (laughs) Okay. Or covering all of the mirrors in the house with like sheets. Okay. Or just moving everything in the house, like, three inches to the left. Like, really fucking weird shit. Hide the remote. Mm-hmm. Really sick shit. Yeah. Oh, just fucked. Like, put it in Jello, maybe. <gasps> he invented that. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. In 1986. Maybe the J stands for Jello. It's all coming together. <laughs> oh, my God. Daniel Jello LaPlante. Daniel Jello LaPlante. LaPlante. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a guy. If I ever have a child besides this Mothman statue, I will give them the middle name of Jello. Mark my words. Mm-hmm. Please do. In 1986, at the age of 16, Daniel's little crime spree started ramping up. One of his classmates, Annie Andrews, who was 15 at the time, had recently lost her mother to cancer, and Daniel became obsessed with her for, I don't even know, some reason or another. Wasn't really able to find why. I mean, he was just kind of a creep at this point, so yeah. it doesn't surprise me. He just, like, picked her and was like, you, I will be obsessed with you. (laughs) It's believed that he had previously burgled her house and when he had gotten, and that's where he got her phone number. Oh. Although this can't be confirmed, but this makes the most sense. Like, Mm -hmm. he got it, like, this is written down He, like, saw a picture of her and he was like, oh, she's hot. I'm going to stalk her. That was kind of like a kip from Napoleon Dynamite voice. Like, (laughs) oh, she's hot. She's hot. Yeah, that was good. How about some gold bracelets? (laughs) Annie is his LaFonda. Yeah, but it's not mutual. No, no, no. No, 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 no. no. So Annie lived at home with her father and her sister, Jessica. 
And Daniel started calling Annie, telling her that he got her phone number from one of their school friends. Mm. But she was like, wait, who was this? And he said his name, but she, like, didn't know who he was at school because he was just, like, some weird kid that kept himself. Oh. I feel like you would know the weird kid's name, though. Maybe. Or, like, that there was a weird kid, I guess. But instead, Daniel started catfishing her. He told her that he was tall and blonde and an athlete and that he lived near her and she was just like totally buying into it. Because Catfish didn't, the TV show and the documentary didn't Mm -hmm. exist. That's true. So everyone got Catfish. It was so easy to Catfish people before that show came out. Fuck, what's his name? Something with an N. N, yeah. Not Nev? Nev. Is it Nev? Yeah, yeah. He ruined it for everyone. God damn it. Now we can't even... (laughs) We can't even catfish. We can't now. even freaking catfish like our physics teacher or something weird. God, not that we've tried. We've never done that. We've totally never life. done that. We've no, definitely never tried. We've to never do that. catfished a teacher. No, no. <laughs> Anyways, we should move on before people start thinking that we have catfished a teacher. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she was super confused. Um, he's like, "I'm a tall blonde hottie. Like, let's be friends." And then they chatted on the phone almost every day for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And he eventually convinced her to go on a date with him. So she agreed and told him to pick her up at her house. So there's a knock on Annie's door and she's expecting this hunky dude from her phone dates to just like be there to pick her up or whatever. Mm -hmm. And instead, she finds Daniel as we know him at (laughs) the door. Oh, it's like a slide whistle. (laughs) He's got dark hair, dirty clothes, kind of short, pimply face, and Annie's like, um, wait, who are you? (laughs) But for some reason, she's like, you know, I liked him over the phone. Yeah, he lied about the way he looks, but he's pretty cool to talk to, so I will go out with him. Mm. And they go on a date. They go to the local fair, and Annie is just, like, super not having a good time. (laughs) She made an excuse about like an hour into the date to go home and as i mentioned before on this date i mean i guess should we call this a date it's uh well i guess she agreed sure. so it's not an abduction oh true true true. okay so on their date and we're just gonna put it in air quotes date. okay yeah daniel found out that annie's mom had died of cancer recently so daniel um being a completely normal person <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. That's so sad. He was like, uh, I need to know every single detail about her death. He seemed to be obsessed with the death of Annie's mom. He questioned Annie about how she felt when her mom died, um, wanted to know the exact moment that her mom died, what kind of cancer she had. He asked her how much her mom suffered. That's fucking, that's cringy. Don't mm-hmm. do that. And Annie told Daniel that she wasn't interested in seeing him anymore. Wonder why. Yeah, crazy, right? (laughs) But Daniel did not give Annie a choice in the matter, as we will see a little bit later. Oh, we will see. Mm. So as mentioned by Noelle, Annie and Jessica Andrews had lost their mother to cancer, so they were being raised by their father. And one night, the girls decided to do a seance in their basement to try to contact their their deceased mother. I would do the same thing. Same. Mm -hmm. The two girls performed their seance with a Ouija board in the basement, and it was just like a fun thing. Neither of them really knew what they were doing. They didn't expect anything to come out of it. However, that night, Jessica and Annie heard a rhythmic knocking sounding on their bedroom walls while they tried to sleep. 
It was so weird. It was like the tune of like Live in La Vida Loca, but that hadn't come out yet. And then when they heard Live in La Vida Loca several years later, they were like, wait a minute. Wait. Have I? No, it, it can't be. Yeah. So spoiler, it was a young Ricky Martin in their walls. Um, we should probably just cancel. Yeah, actually. Just stop this episode yeah, right now. That's how this ends. <laughs> that's definitely how this ends. <laughs> a young Ricky Martin just trying out beats. <laughs> Anyways, they believed that what they had done in the basement, their seance, they thought that it had worked and that this knocking was the ghost of their mother trying to communicate with them. So the girls would stay up late at night talking to what they thought was their mother. They would ask this unforeseen force questions to which the spirit would reply with a series of knocks as an answer. Oh, man, the Fox sisters are like rolling in their graves, dude. <laughs> And this would go on for several evenings. The girls would go to bed and be awoken by a knocking sound, which they would talk and ask questions. Probably like two knocks for yes, one knock for no type of thing. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, like several knocks is like um like just another beat maybe he's yeah. trying out or whatever. Like I don't know. Like, <laughs> I can be that's enrique no damn it yeah yeah. damn it yeah but everyone knows that ricky martin wrote the beat for that what is i was trying to think i literally cannot think of another song besides living the vita loca Uh, uh. should i google this (laughs) no (laughs) wait i'm too deep into this just leave it in leave all the googling in Okay, uh, Live in La Vida Loca is the only song out of all these songs that I can... <laughs> that he's ever written. Oh, She Bangs. She Bangs. She Bangs. Like, she Bangs. She Bangs. <laughs> okay. My stomach hurts from laughing I'm so sorry. <laughs> so anyways, the knocking became so frequent that it started to disturb the girls and it was keeping them up at all hours of the night i mean these knocks would take place at all hours of the day and the night so it was just like a constant knocking oh wow. i guess okay at this point and they were like mom we want to go to ricky ricky we need to go to sleep we have school tomorrow <laughs> ricky martin stop it <laughs> And then their belongings started to disappear. Oh, no. So they would place an item on a dresser to come back to their room to find it thrown across the room. Oh, wow. They'd also come back to the room to find that furniture had been moved. See? Three inches to the left, yeah. dude. Sound familiar? They would set food out on the table, leave it there for five minutes, and then when they came back, the food would be gone. That's crazy. That's creepy. I would then I would be like someone's in the fucking walls. Yeah, that would scare me. Yeah, that's like hinterkaifex shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After a while, Annie and Jessica believed that they were no longer being haunted by the spirit of their loving mother, but instead they now believed that they were being terrorized by a demon. They're not too far off base. No, no, they're not. When the girls confronted their father about this, he did that thing we hate Mm. and absolutely did not believe them. Of course. Of course he did. He thought the girls were doing it themselves as like a sick little prank, Mm. you know, moving furniture and wreaking havoc in their own home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what teen girls do. Mm Mm-hmm. The girls pleaded with their father and stood by their claims, believing that they were being haunted. But their father, Brian, still refused to believe any of it was real. 
Instead, he blamed the girls and told them that they were still struggling with the mo- their mother's death and it was all just in their heads. Oh, sure, sure. He's like, no, you're just kind of crazy because you missed your dead mom. Right. That's like fucked up, dude. I know. That is until one evening in January. It was 1987 and Jessica and Annie were alone in their house, sitting in their front room, when they began to hear the strange knocking sounds once more. They were not interacting with the knocking this time. Instead, the knocking was just more of like a constant tapping sound because they refused to acknowledge it because it was driving them insane. Yeah, right. So it was just like incessantly knocking. Mm -hmm. This knocking was a little different than the kind that they were hearing in their bedroom, though. The knocking from their bedroom seemed to come from inside the walls, whereas this knocking that they were hearing in the front room sounded like it was coming from their basement. Oh, no. Yeah. So what did the girls do? Mm-hmm. They grabbed a kitchen knife and went to investigate the sound, which I know you're not supposed to do. Uh-huh. Like, every horror movie like shows you're not yeah. supposed to do that, but we've all done it. Yeah, and you would for sure do that. I, yeah, you would for 100% sure. do it. There's sometimes, like, spooky noises in this house, and you're like, where's my gun? And then you, you – you, I'm just kidding. You don't have a gun. I don't have a gun. <laughs> no. She just means, like, her biceps. Yeah. Yeah. Guns. And then she, like, investigates it, and I, like, sit, like, and cry in the corner, like, shaggy <laughs> Scooby-Doo style. So. So as the girls crept to the basement with their trusty kitchen knife, they stopped short before making it all the way down. Because on the walls of their basement, written in blood was the message – I'm in your room. Come find me. Oh, fuck. The girls ran out of the house as fast as they could because, duh. Mm-hmm. And they ran to a neighbor's house for help where they waited for their father to return home, which I've also totally done. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Like you hear something in your house and you run to your neighbors because yeah, you're like, afraid. No, no Wait for you. your mom to come home. Uh-huh. <laughs> when Brian Andrews got home, the girls told him what they found and showed him the message. Brian discovered that the message had not been written in blood, but in ketchup instead. Delicious. And he believed it was the girls playing another prank on him, and he believed that they had written the message. I mean, okay, hear me out. What is ketchup but not the blood of a tomato? Very true. So It's someone's blood. It's someone's blood (laughs) is on that wall. Not a human's, well, not a human's blood but a living thing's blood. How genetically different are tomatoes and humans? Let's be honest. Okay. Like basically the same. We're all on the same planet at the same time. Mm-hmm. We're coexisting. They, what is a tomato, but a small red fruit like human <laughs> at this point. Exactly. <laughs> so their father ordered them to undergo counseling to help them cope with their mother's death. I mean, that's a good thing anyways. Yeah. But I mean, he thought that they were acting out. So he's yeah. like, just go to counseling. No one's in the house. Cause it's because they wasted his ketchup. That's yeah, why he, he was, was pissed. Very, he was pissed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dads love ketchup. <laughs> and it was Heinz, so it was like, you know, it wasn't just like the mm-hmm. the generic kind. Mm-hmm. So. Not, not cats up. No. no. So he believed their actions were a cry for help and that the girls needed intervention to help them cope with the grief of losing their mother. So several weeks passed by, and with the girls in therapy now for their pranks, the knocking continued. And then another incident happened. Mm. Similar to the last, the girls were home alone when they started to hear the knocking again. They tracked the sounds. This time, the knocking sounded as if it were coming from behind 
Annie's bedroom wall again. So when Annie and Jessica entered Annie's room, they were greeted with another message written on the wall in blood. This time the message said, I'm back. Find me if you can. That's scarier than the first message. Yeah. So just like last time, Annie and Jessica ran out of the house because what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And they ran to their neighbor's house where they once again called their father. So once again, Brian Andrews was not happy and he blamed the girls for the message. But when Brian Andrews got home, he marched directly into the home to show the girls that nothing was wrong. And what he found was straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. Brian Andrews walked into a very confusing scene. It was obvious that someone had been in the house because the house was in a total disarray, like more so than what the girls had described and more than what he thought the girls were kind of capable of. Mm -hmm. Cautiously, Brian went into Annie's room as directed by the previous message. Mm Mm-hmm. Where he saw a message painted on her wall. This message, in what looked like blood, read, marry me. Like, you know, Arrested Development style. Marry me. Marry me. Brian slowly spun around in the room to see a young man dressed in the clothing of his deceased wife. The boy had on a blonde wig, his wife's dress, and a face full of makeup. He was standing completely still and holding a hatchet in one of his hands. So, like, Norman Bates style. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Guess who that little boy was? Hmm. A young Willem Dafoe. What? No, just kidding. It was Daniel Daniel LaPlante. Oh, damn. Yeah. And Daniel made a break for it. He ran at Brian. Brian tried to grab him, but Daniel slipped out of his grasp. Brian recalls being dumbfounded at the effortless way Brian disappeared from sight. Brian then called the police. Or maybe it was one of the neighbors. I don't know, actually. Someone called the police. Someone called the police. I wasn't actually sure where to find it. Ricky Martin called the police. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, she bangs and he wanted to make sure that she could later. Mm -hmm. Okay. When the police showed up later that evening, they began to investigate the space. Firstly, they determined that the messages were written on the wall in ketchup, as we discussed earlier. But they knew that ketchup was Daniel's favorite condiment. So this was their first clue. Really? I would have packed him for more of a mustard guy, but okay. Yeah, like yellow mustard. Yeah. Yeah, or like even mayonnaise, honestly. Oh, yeah, he seems like like, a mayonnaise, very greasy. Yeah. He's a mayonnaise guy. mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, his hair looks amazing, because like mayonnaise is so good for your hair, but like... In your face. Yeah. But yeah, he's a ketchup guy, Mm. turns out. Surprised. Then they started looking for how Daniel, which, I mean, they didn't know it was Daniel at this point, so I should stop saying that. (laughs) But they started looking for how this person could have been accessing the house so easily. One investigator found a crawl space hidden behind a built-in cupboard in Annie's room. The cop opened the door to the crawl space to find Daniel LaPlante in the fetal position, dressed as a deceased Mrs. Andrews inside. Daniel was removed from the crawl space and placed into police custody. Once Daniel was removed from the residence, the cops continued to search the home. It was during the search they discovered the hidey holes. Ew. I just, that word is just hidey hole. It's a very cute name for just... Hidey hole. Such a... Oh, hidey hole neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Horrendous thing. Adorable name. Ugh. Daniel, yeah, it's actually kind of a gross name. Heidi, Heidi Hole. Hole. I kind of hate it. Yeah. I'm sorry for saying it over again. <laughs> Heidi Hole. 
<laughs> Daniel had been living between the walls of the Andrews home in passageways and little tunnels that led him all over the house. There were several small holes, like little peepholes, that Daniel used to spy on Annie and the Andrews, which is a great band name, let's be honest. It's a great band name. (laughs) No matter what room they were in, he could see them with his little peepholes. So he basically was fucking Norman Bates. Yeah, With his little holes staring. His his hidey holes, watching people. Yeah. It was obvious during the investigation that Daniel had been pretending to be the ghost of the girl's deceased mother... And he said he was trying to torture them. Oh, okay. Yeah. The cops believed that Daniel was hoping that the girls would be the ones to walk into Annie's room. And he wanted to scare them, probably. Kill them? He was holding a hatchet. I don't know. They can't say, like, he wanted to kill them because he didn't try to kill anybody, I guess. Right. This isn't confirmed, but I would say that it's a pretty safe bet, honestly, just based on the fact that he was hiding in her room. Dresses her dead mom and holding a hatchet. Yeah. Yeah. So the police think that he had been living in the walls for up to two months before his little marry me stunt. Jeez. And mm-hmm. the, the most, like, the messed up part about that is, what, what did his mom, his mom didn't even care that he just wasn't living at home for two months? Dude, no way. I mean, like, there's no way. Think about his home life. Yeah. There's no way she gave a shit where he was. Right. She was probably, like, one less mouth to feed. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. But it seems like he kind of had a pretty shitty home life. Yeah. So, I don't know. They probably just didn't give a fuck, honestly. The hidey holes were full of stuff. (laughs) Sorry. Gross. Mostly garbage. Um, There was a sleeping bag. There were beer cans and food wrappers. Also, some of Daniel's clothing and some articles of clothing, including some that belonged to the Andrews family, specifically Annie, that had disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, you know he was sniffing those. Please don't tell me. that. I was going to say, did he steal her fucking panties? I don't know. It didn't say. It just said clothing. But I wouldn't put it past him, to be honest. For this bizarre event, Daniel was convicted of a B&E and placed into a juvenile detention facility. He received psychiatric evaluation and he was held for 10 months under detention. He was released in October of 1987. Daniel was transferred from juvenile court to adult court. And since he's now being charged as an adult, that meant that he could post bail, which his mother helped him do. Daniel was charged with four counts of kidnapping, four counts of armed assault in a dwelling, breaking and entering, larceny of more than $100, and malicious destruction of property. Basically, right after he was released, he returned to burglarizing homes. He went right back to his weird-ass shit of moving things around and only taking little objects to fuck around with people. That was until about a month later when he found two handguns in a house that he had broken into. He obviously took the handguns, and then he named them Jack Johnson and Thomas (laughs) O'Leary. And he continued to burglarize homes for about another month with his little side pieces close by. Daniel was due to appear in Middlesex Superior Court on December 11th, 1987, but he had a different plan. Oh, he sure did. In the afternoon of December 1st, 1987, so just two months after Danny was released from the juvenile detention center for stalking Annie and breaking in slash squatting in her house. Heidi holes. Heidi holes. Danny broke into the Gustafson house. The Gustafson's home was about half a mile from Danny's family home, and the family consisted of Andrew, who was 34, Priscilla, who was 33, 
and their two children, Abigail and William, who were five and seven years old. Priscilla was a nursery school teacher who also happened to be pregnant at the time, and she was described as a very sweet and caring person. She was very dedicated to Christianity and even sang in her church's choir. I'm going to say, if you are a nursery school teacher and you also have several children, you are probably very sweet and caring. Right, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Andrew Gustafson was a lawyer and was away at work when Danny decided to break into his house. What Andrew discovered would turn his entire world upside down. Okay, so... This is probably during the day, right? And Andrew's mm-hmm. at work, and yeah. then she's home with the kids. She's home with the kids. Okay. Andrew found his pregnant wife, Priscilla, face down on her bed, her pillows covered in her own blood. Daniel had beat and raped Priscilla mm-hmm. before putting a pillow to her head to muffle the noise and shot her twice in the head. Yeah. That's a bit of an escalation. Yeah. Yeah. And mind you, this is just two months after he was released from juvie for Mm -hmm. the Annie Andrews thing. Andrew then discovered the bodies of his two young children. Each of them had been drowned by Danny in separate bathrooms in the house. Dude. Oh, boy. Five-year-old William had been drowned in the upstairs bathtub, and seven-year-old Abigail was drowned in the downstairs bathtub. They think that Abigail was probably maybe at school initially when he first entered the home and that she got off the bus and entered her home to find Daniel and then he basically grabbed her and drowned her. Do you know how long it takes to drown a person? Yeah. Like a long fucking time. Yeah. Like a long time. So I'm assuming he probably killed the mother first. Mm-hmm killed William and Mm -hmm. then poor little Abigail comes home and Mm -hmm. there's just this man in her house and he just grabbed her and killed her too. Andrew Gustafson immediately called the police. Some reports say he ran out of the house and called them as soon as he found Priscilla because the house was silent and he couldn't handle finding his babies dead as well. I don't blame him. Which is, it's heartbreaking. So we don't know if he actually found the kids or if he just found his wife and just bailed and was Mm -hmm. like, "I, I can't. The police found two 22 caliber bullet casings, an open but not drunk can of beer, and semen stains on the bed where Priscilla was found. They also found a shoe print in the flower bed just outside of the house. That's such like a weird, like, a shoe print in a flower bed seems so like, I don't know. I have like this weird, like, um, like almost like an Edward Scissorhands type like thought of it like mm-hmm. like this perfect little community and like a like a footprint in a flower bed That's seems a, so innocently yeah. like I don't know. It's just like a weird juxtaposition well, of like this crazy crime and then... That's like exactly what happened. I mean, a layer of fear spread throughout Townsend, Massachusetts. Townsend was a small, quiet town. No one could believe that they were seeing this brutal murder on their television screens. Yeah, it's fucked up, dude. The police immediately came up with a list of possible suspects and to no one's surprise, Daniel LaPlante was at the top of their list. Mm-hmm. It was no shock, given his previous history of burglarizing homes and also just the, the two months before the incident with the Andrews family. Oh, yeah, with, like, the ketchup and, like, the fucking axe. Yeah. Yeah. The police also discovered that some items had been taken from the Gustafson home during the murder, 
a cable box and a cordless phone were taken. And since Daniel lived less than a mile from the Gustafsons, the police thought, like, this is our guy. Yeah, for sure. On December 2nd, a day after the murders, police found and questioned Daniel, who just denied everything. He told them he was at home watching TV at the time of the murders and that and that he then went to a birthday party for his six-year-old niece. Police still had no real evidence connecting Danny, so later that day, they went back to his house to question him some more. When the police arrived, Daniel was standing on the front porch, and when he saw the officers approaching, he did the dumbest thing he possibly could do. Don't tell me he ran. He ran away from the cops. Okay. (laughs) He just turned and ran because, you know, that's not incriminating at all. No. It's fine. So the police then searched the home. They had come back with a warrant, and they found a a bunch of evidence linking him to the murders. They searched the woods between the Gustafson house and his house, and they found a shirt that belonged to Daniel, along with a pair of wet gloves, which was determined he used while drowning the children. A manhunt was issued for Daniel. A helicopter was dispatched to search for Daniel's well, along with police dogs and 50 local and state officers. Daniel wasn't exactly subtle or Mm. lying low while on the run from the cops. Yeah, I wouldn't think that he would. He doesn't seem very smart. Oh, yeah. We've already established he's not the brightest bulb in the tanning bed. Mm -hmm. So he broke into another woman's home. And he kidnapped her at gunpoint and instructed her to drive him around town in her Volkswagen van. The woman managed to escape from Daniel and immediately called the police and reported her vehicle stolen. Yeah. Because, duh. With Daniel gallivanting around town, many people had reported seeing him. And thanks to these witnesses, the police were able to capture Daniel around 6.30 p.m. on December 3rd. Okay, so like the... Two days after the murder. Yeah, he mm. wasn't really, like I said, he wasn't being subtle. He was driving around town in a stolen vehicle. His yeah. face was plastered all over the place. <sighs> yeah. And he wasn't trying mm. to hide, like, yeah, at, like all. at all. No. <laughs> no. He was actually found hiding in a dumpster yeah. where he belongs, yes. in my opinion, mm-hmm. at a lumber yard in Ayer, Massachusetts. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm going to go with Ayer. Ayer. It's a town 11 miles southeast of Townsend. And he was found 48 hours after the manhunt started. Pretty good, dude. When Daniel was arrested, he started laughing maniacally. Oh, fucking gay. What is, what, come on. He's a, he's a psycho. I mean, police Clearly. also found a gun stuffed inside his underwear. Okay. I wonder if it was Jack Johnson or Tom O'Leary. I don't know. He probably had a favorite. Oh, yeah. He for sure did. I'm going to go with Jack Johnson. I, yeah, that's what I thought, too. <laughs> Daniel was charged with the murders of Priscilla, Abigail, and William and had accumulated several other charges while on the run. So on top of the charges, he bailed on relating to the Andrews family. So now he's just got, like, a list of things. So police found a twenty-two caliber bullet casing in Daniel's house that matched the ones that he he used to kill Priscilla. They also found the gun used to kill Priscilla in Daniel's stepfather's glove compartment. Okay, okay. They found a pair of Converse sneakers that matched the print found in the flower bed. A sock with Priscilla's saliva on it was found in his room, and they believed that he used it to gag her. 
DNA evidence was still in the early days, however, so they tested Daniel's blood and it indicated that he was a type A secretor, which matched the semen found at the scene of the crime. Yeah, it's so weird to think that like DNA evidence has been around for like 30 I know. years. Like that's it. Yeah, like, like this in was our 80, lifetime. Basically. This was 87 and the only thing they were able to find from his semen was that he was a type A secretor. How insane is that? Yeah. Also stop saying secretor. Secretor. Please. Oh my god, it's worse than Heidi Hole. <laughs> they also found a tie, a sock, stockings and pantyhose that he had fashioned into ligatures when he was tying up Priscilla, obviously. Wow. They also recovered his sock with one of Abigail's hairs on it, and they found the cordless phone that was taken from the Gustafsons. So, I mean, the evidence was there. and Like, all of it. They're like, we, we got you. That is so much you. evidence. Yeah. Even without DNA. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel pled not guilty to all the murder charges. Okay. By the time his trial began in October of 1988, Daniel was 18. So even though he was a minor when he committed the murders, Daniel was tried as an adult. I think it's interesting that they're not also claiming that he killed Priscilla's unborn baby. They do that a lot of times. Yes. Yes. That was weird. Yeah. One of the things that I was going to talk about, because I don't like that's not listed, but that was a life. Yeah, and they usually do that to, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, like, to make it worse or, yeah, like, whatever. to really drive it home. Yeah. I mean, I guess this time what he did was bad enough. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I thought I thought that was weird, too. I wonder if there's, like, like a gestation limit. Like, if, like, you know, you're, you've only been pregnant oh. for, like, 12 weeks or something, if they can count it. I wonder if there's a difference. I don't know. Mm, if that's any of our, interesting, especially if any with, of like, listeners. abortion laws and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, right? Because... It's a baby once it's small. But we're not going to get into that. No, we won't. But if any of our <laughs> listeners know, um, like, what the differentiation between, yeah. like, being able to charge for another life, child, I guess. Yeah, a, a child in the womb. Yeah, let us know. So Daniel underwent a psychiatric evaluation, and he was deemed fit to stand trial. The prosecution called 50 different witnesses, including Daniel's own family. Oh, no shit. During the trial, Daniel showed... Absolutely no remorse for his actions. Instead, he sat there with a cocky-ass smile on his face the whole time. Just the kind of smile you want to fucking punch. Smack it right off. Mm -hmm. Basically, with all the evidence presented and the fact that Daniel was a known creeper and breaker and enterer, the defense was screwed. And they tried to argue that all of the evidence found at the home could have been linked to any other family member But Daniel's brothers and his stepfather all had rock-solid alibis. I don't know. his shoe print. Like, that's his shoe. Yeah, like, 100%. And, like, the sock was in his room. Yeah. And, you know, all this stuff. And no one else has a rap sheet of breaking and entering and dressing up as a girl's dead mother. Uh, Like, you know? Yeah, it just kind of... It all checks out. I mean, it's a big jump, like, what he did from, like, standing (laughs) in someone's room. But also, unless he was going to murder those girls, then maybe it's yeah, not that big was, of a jump. Yeah, honestly bound to happen at some point. Yeah. Also, just a side note here. For some fucking reason, whenever I picture prosecution or mm-hmm. like de- just like an attorney in general, yeah. I picture Foghorn Leghorn, you know, like the giant southern chicken with yeah. the tie. <laughs> and I do not know why, 
I do declare. I do that, declare. That, doesn't he say that or something? Yeah, I just imagine him being like, Your Honor, my client here is not guilty. And I don't know why my brain always goes there every single time. Thank you for that. Now my brain is also going to make that trip. What does that say about me? I don't know. Who knows? I do not know. I do declare. <laughs> After a jury deliberation of just five hours. Yeah, okay. Daniel was sentenced to three life sentences to be served consecutively at MCI Norfolk Prison in Norfolk, Massachusetts. What if they weren't consecutive? What if it was like you get a life sentence and then like you get five years off and then like you have to come back for like the <laughs> you other one? Get ones? five years off. <laughs> I feel like that would almost be more insulting. You know everyone would run. Like, no one's going to go back to prison. But a life sentence is your whole life. Like, you're supposed to die in prison. And then they're like, but after that, you get five <laughs> years off. And then yeah, you got to come know. back. I feel like a lot more people would murder than if that was the that's case. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> in 1993, Daniel appealed his convictions, stating that the search warrants should not have been granted. And if they hadn't found the evidence in his house... He wouldn't have been found guilty. I mean, technically. No shit. He was right. Well, yeah. If you don't find this bloody knife with my fingerprints on it, you, you're you not going to know it's me. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> I'm not even sure, like, if I have how to respond to that, like, stupid-ass statement, though. Like, That's, like, the stupidest thing. If, no, yeah. if you didn't have any proof that I did it, then you couldn't prove then that I, I did it. it. Yeah. Okay. But... To no one's surprise, his appeal was denied. Oh, yeah. Um, no, that tracks for sure. <laughs> yeah. Daniel was a shit person, and he was also a shit prisoner. Oh, God. In 2000, he requested he be moved after receiving threats from other prisoners because he probably fucking creeped them out, and he, they didn't want to be in the same, you know, area yeah. as him. And I don't blame them. Yeah. Like, not everyone in prison is a murderer. But no, no. And I bet he was, like, the fucking worst. Yeah. Like, I was reading, like, accounts of, like, when he was in high school, and he was just, like, the fucking worst. So I feel like that was probably the case. I mean, I don't blame you prisoners. I wouldn't want to live with this creep either. No. So they allowed him to move. But since he was now segregated from the general population, he wasn't given library time. Mm Mm-mm. So he tried to sue the Board of Prisons, even though he was the one who requested that he be removed from the general population in the first place. But he didn't know they were going to take his Clifford the Big Red Dog books away from him, okay? <laughs> they didn't. He didn't know that. He didn't know that. No, he didn't. But he won. Oh, God. He won $450 for his rights being denied. And he used it to buy the complete anthology of <laughs> Clifford the Big, Big Red, Red Dog. Dog. So And a Ricky Martin CD. Yeah, she bangs. I can't even remember the other song. Oh, Live in La Vida Loca. (laughs) I mean, I think that's complete bullshit, but whatever. It is bullshit, dude. He also threw a fit one time because someone sent him porn, which was then confiscated because it's contraband. Oh, yeah. You can't have porn in prison. And he complained about that. I'm sure he did. Then in 2013, he claimed he was being prohibited from being able to properly exercise his faith oh my god and he tried to sue once again daniel claimed that he was a satanist my eyes are rolling so hard right some now. sources say wiccan so i'm not sure if it was satanist or wiccan i don't know people are ignorant when it comes to stuff like that and i feel like they just peg everything as like satanism sure so i don't know it's either satanist wiccan some sort of witchcraft i don't know 
But apparently, he demanded that he be brought various ritual oils. Sure. Including, but not limited to, dragon's blood. Of course. Black opium. Got to. And honeysuckle. That was nice. (laughs) I would give him the honeysuckle. Oh, and he also apparently needed... He needed carrot cake in order to perform his rituals. That's how I feel, too. (laughs) I need dessert or I'm not going to bed. And the prison was just like, no, Daniel, you can't have fucking carrot cake. So he threw another tantrum. Okay, well, give him the carrot cake and this won't be a problem. I mean, uh, that's really what he he truly wanted. Also, like, you can't fucking do rituals in prison. Like, uh, mm, we should do an episode on, like, just like ridiculous shit that happens in like the prison system Mm -hmm. but realistically you cannot openly like unless it's like christian based they they really just like shove it down like you can't do anything of like your religious expression or whatever you can like read the bible that's about it that's like what you get and then there's like a chapel and like everyone Mm -hmm. saw orange is the new black you all know that lesbians have sex you bang in the chapel that's how it works But, like, that's all it's for, basically. Yeah. Like, there's no... I don't know. I know. It just... This guy's annoying me. He, yeah, he's... A, like I said, he's a shit person and prisoner. Yeah, he's the worst. Then, in 2017, at the ripe old age of 46, <laughs> Daniel Janiel Laplante <laughs> appealed for a reduced sentence after a Supreme Court ruling that stated juveniles cannot be sentenced to life in prison without parole. What about, what about if they murdered a woman and two children? Is that maybe? I, I'm not that, sure on the exact court ruling, but I feel like if you do something bad enough, bad. you get tried as an adult. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's just how it I happens. I feel like that's 100% how that works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At this point, Daniel had been in prison for 30 years, and he was trying to get his sentence changed so he could serve his sentences concurrently oh and not consecutively okay so he wanted to serve all three of them at the same time instead of having to do one after the other okay well then that's just one sentence daniel exactly that's not how that's it not works. How things work daniel. no so if if this was approved it would mean that he would be eligible for parole in 2017 instead of 2032 oh shit this time around daniel changed his tune Instead of the smirking bastard he was as an 18-year-old, he pleaded with the court. He apologized for his actions and said, I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow, but I am truly sorry for the harm that I've caused. From the very essence of who I am, from the depths of my soul, I am sorry. Mm. Also, will someone please give me some carrot cake? And then he openly wept. (laughs) Just yeah. kidding. I improvised the last part, but I'm sure he was thinking. He definitely it. was thinking about all the carrot cake he's going to eat once he gets out of the clink. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Despite his words, people in the room did not believe he was sincere. I also wouldn't believe him. Yeah. It was clear Daniel still did not give a shit and just wanted out of prison so he could eat all of the carrot cake that he wanted. Okay, I will give it to him. Carrot cake is fucking delicious. It it's is. all about the cream cheese frosting. It's one of the better cakes. It's so good. But you can't have it if you murder a lot of people. You give up your right to eat carrot cake when you murder a mother and her unborn child and her two small children. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, maybe... Deal with it. This is just, like, a word of wisdom, okay, from us. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel, for this. (laughs) To the world, putting it out into the universe, if you're ever going to commit, like, a horrific crime, I want you to pause. We want you to pause. Pause for a moment. Take a moment and think, Mm. what dessert 
will I not be able to have when I'm in prison for murdering all these people? Mm-hmm. Do I want that dessert or is it not even worth it? Exactly. And then proceed with your decision as you so choose. But I will tell you, <laughs> you do not get desserts in prison. It's not worth it. And it's, it's not, not worth, worth it. it. No. No. Not worth it. No. Judge Helene Kazanjian, Kazanjian sure. was not falling for Daniel's shit. And she told the entire court, and I quote, Mr. LaPlante has not been rehabilitated. This case does not involve a single act that resulted in three deaths. Mr. LaPlante committed three distinct and brutal murders. Yes. He killed a 33-year-old pregnant mother Mm -hmm. and her five and seven-year-old children. He left a family and community devastated. The court finds that the maximum penalty is warranted, and she re-sentenced his ass to the maximum possible punishment, three separate life sentences to be served consecutively. And the best part, she was eating a carrot cake the whole (laughs) fucking time. Just rubbing it in his face. I would, dude. In between bites, I'd be like, this case does not involve... (laughs) I would just fucking down a carrot cake in court while delivering this shit. Badass Judge Helene. Got to. Daniel will have the opportunity for parole after 45 years, in which would be 2035. So 2032. 10, so 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. He will be 62 years old if he is paroled, which I think should be longer because, like you said, he took the lives of four people, yeah, not three. It yeah. should be four life sentences, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. But... I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know how it works either. Yeah. So after the murder of his entire family, Andrew Gustafson rebuilt his life and he remarried a woman named Carol in 1989. And she too was a widow. Aww. The both of them wore two wedding rings on their fingers, one from their first marriage to honor their dead spouses and one from their marriage to each other. That's really sweet. Which I thought was pretty cute. Yeah. Together, Andrew and Carol had two daughters named Holly and Laura. In regards to Daniel, Andrew is quoted as saying, He could take them, but he couldn't stop my hope, my life and faith in building a new life. He said once in an interview he could not and would not ever forgive Daniel for what he did, stating, As far as I've come, I don't think I've come far enough to deal with that. I've still got more miles to go in my journey. Don't ever let him out. He should rot in prison. Mm, I agree. Yeah. Unfortunately, Andrew died in May of 2014 from cancer. He was only 60 years old. And this was three years before Daniel's appeal hearing, so Andrew did not get to see him resentenced for his crimes. I want to know what kind of cancer he had. I want to know if he suffered. I want to know what his family... Daniel. I'm just kidding. That's fucked up. (laughs) Take a seat. So I hope Andrew has been reunited with his family and they're having a beautiful time in heaven or wherever you go when you die. Who knows, man? But I also Staring down at Daniel in jail. I hope that Daniel stubs his toe so bad that his toenail splits apart and then it kind of gets infected and it never is uninfected. I hope he never, ever gets to eat carrot cake ever again. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm going to mail him a carrot cake, but instead of using sugar, I'm going to bake it with salt. 
so he gets his carrot cake let's but it's the worst do it let's just start prank do mailing it. things to murderers <laughs> we should let's just yeah we'll we get like confiscated most of the shit will get confiscated <laughs> yeah that won't be allowed that, they're not gonna let that happen but <laughs> or like send them a porno magazine but like black out all of like the private parts <laughs> so they can't get off like draw clothes on the women <laughs> oh yeah i like that idea be really funny let's do that it's like <laughs> with sharpie marker yeah i bet they'd let that one go through they wouldn't even confiscate yeah they'd it. be like okay sure yeah they'd probably laugh so hard <laughs> yeah, right. all right well there it is the super fucked up story of daniel daniel laplante mm-hmm. or laplante whatever if you're boring laplante oh uh, what a strong way to start the year dude we had a murder we had some stalking mm-hmm. we had some kind of ghost shit we had norman bates uh-huh. willem dafoe ricky martin Loca, baby. enrique That's... even made a little brief appearance <laughs> on accident he was here on accident all right i'm just gonna declare this right now mm-hmm. 2022 yeah 22 tokyo drift we live la vida loca yeah in the words yes. of ricky we live we're, la vida we're living loca. la vida loca yeah <laughs> As safe as possible because COVID is still a thing. And yeah. Everyone get vaccinated and boosted. Do all those but, things. But other than that. But from the safety of your own home, you live that live La Vida, La Vida Loca. Loca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have, um, speaking of live in La Vida Loca, we have a listener mail from friend of the pod, Ashley M. Hey, Ashley. She says, hello, ladies. Eyeball emoji. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> I am a dot Marie thirteen twenty three from Instagram, uh, but you can just call me Ashley, which we chat all the time. So hey, Ashley, I'm gonna call her a dot Marie thirteen twenty three. I think you should. <laughs> if just you ever, I'm gonna call you. If Ashley. you ever meet her in person, <laughs> a firm handshake and a dot Marie thirteen twenty three. Yes, hello. She says your show is hilarious, and I love listening to it while I work as a baker. That makes the baguettes just for you to eat Ooh, in the car. Yes. Oh my God, meal us some bread, Ashley. Yes. Yeah. And y'all have definitely been there for me throughout these trying times. You're both beautiful, amazing, and talented researchers slash comedians. Oh. Why do you think I picked this one? We That's needed so a, sweet. Thank we you, needed Ashley. an ego boost. <laughs> <laughs> now, my listener lore isn't so much mine as it is my grandmother's story. Oh. When my cousins and I were younger, she used to tell us spooky stories so we wouldn't go play in the woods. Ooh. It didn't work very well, and it just made us more scared while in the woods. (laughs) However, as we got older, the stories went away, but my love for all things spooky remained. Over Thanksgiving, I asked her if any of the things she told us as kids had any merit. She laughed and joked about how, of course, there were no children buried in the woods. And then, after a few moments, she brought up some things that she hadn't told us before. After her and my grandfather got married in the late 60s, early 70s, They moved from Illinois to outside of a naval base in the south as my grandpa was stationed there. They had just had my uncle and my grandma didn't work at the time. She just stayed home and she cared for him. My grandfather's work had always had him coming home very late, between 12 and 2 a.m. usually, so my grandma and uncle were asleep most of the time. She mentioned that there was nothing weird about the apartment at first, but after about six months, things started to get weird. It started with her hearing my uncle fussing in the night, and when she would check on him, he was still sleeping. Oh, that's creepy. My grandfather had even confirmed that a few times when he came home late, he would hear my grandma talking to my uncle, but when he went into the room, they were both sleeping. (sighs) 
They weren't too shaken up at this point. It was an apartment after all. But then my grandma said that there were two nights specifically that stand out to them. She had gotten up about 1 a.m. to my uncle actually fussing. She was feeding him and then heard the door unlock, open, and then close. Assuming it was my grandfather, as the time was right, she went to greet him and was faced with a dark silhouette at the front door. She said it was dark in the house, but she could clearly see that it wasn't my grandfather. But she couldn't see anything other than a black mass. Then she screamed, and she ran and locked herself and my uncle in the bathroom, until 15 minutes later, hearing the same sound again, and inevitably the sound of my grandfather calling out, looking for them. He was worried because the door was unlocked and they weren't in the bedroom. He said that he didn't see anything else out of the ordinary, though. The next thing that happened was actually to my grandfather upon returning home. He said that it was about a week or so after the silhouette incident, so they were both already a bit on edge about the apartment. He said that he had actually gotten off work early that night, and it was only about 10 p.m. when he got back. Nothing was odd other than it sounded like their neighbors down the hall were having a get-together. He said as soon as he put his key in the deadbolt, he heard my grandmother screaming from inside and a baby crying loudly. He hurriedly, he hurried inside and looked for them and found the apartment devoid of life. He said that at this point, his 21 years, he had never been more afraid. He started yelling for my grandmother and tearing the place apart looking for them or something. But then there was a commotion at the door, and when he went back to the front door, he found my grandma carrying my uncle and their neighbors. Apparently, my grandma had taken my uncle over upon the invite to the couple that lived a few doors down. It was that couple and another couple that lived down a floor celebrating that they had recently found out that they were pregnant. She wasn't originally going to go as it was late, but she said that she had a bad feeling about being alone and she took my uncle. I just got goosebumps. Neither my grandma nor the other two couples said that they heard the screaming and crying that my grandfather had heard only coming running when they heard my grandfather yelling. They moved into an apartment on the base a few weeks later and within a year moved back to Illinois because my grandma was too afraid to be there alone. I think it's interesting because my grandma isn't much of a believer in the paranormal and often says that my grandfather and I are ridiculous when we talk about ghosts, (laughs) aliens, or cryptids. So seeing her freaked out telling a story 50 years later adds some weight to me. Anyways, I hope that this was spooky and not too long. You guys are the bomb.com, and I hope that you keep it unusual. Aw. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks, Ashley. What a super spooky story. Oh. I would, I don't even know what I would do. I wouldn't want to live there. That's what I wouldn't want to do. I would try to talk to it. I know you would. <laughs> oh, you're so brave. <laughs> Actually, I don't know what I would do with a small child, though. With I would a baby. probably be like get out of my house uh yeah i think so especially if like the baby's screaming but it's like a ghost baby yeah yeah i wonder what that is what's the word there i know there's a word for a certain type of entity that mimics really yeah i can't think of it off the top of my head i know that there's like a certain well i think don't skinwalkers there's oh, a yeah. cryptid skinwalkers or someone do that like, does but yeah but i think there's like a ghost or some sort of like entity that is like mm. known for mimicking you which is to me is even scarier because if they can pretend to be that is so much scarier yeah yeah that's like that's like horror movie shit dude yeah they can like lure you into danger Mm -hmm. because they're pretending that you're they're your baby crying right like imagine hearing from the other room like mommy and like you go in and it's like oh your kid's like at your friend's house playing and you're just like i would fucking i don't know what i would do i'd burn my house down 
I can't do that. Anyways, um, thanks so much, Ashley. If anyone else has a super spooky, scary story or just wants to say hi, you can email us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com or as always, you can slippery slide into our social media DMs. We're at pretty much every social media outlet at Quite Unusual Pod. If you like what you hear, please, please, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We love reading your reviews and honestly... It helps boost us to be seen more, too. So Yeah, yeah you can rate us on Spotify now, too. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. rate us on Spotify. Just It's just stars, no written reviews yet. But we would appreciate it if you did that. We also have a Patreon. So if you guys want to support us monetarily, I guess, we have a Patreon. It's just quite an unusual pod. Um, we do a lot of fun things over there. We yeah. have um, a couple new special series bonus episodes that we're starting uh-huh. for 2022 which we're very excited about yeah super stoked uh we host a once monthly movie club that's super fun yeah and we're sending out some little treats before the end of the month so. we are and we actually have two new patrons to welcome to we the do. coven yes welcome to jennifer and welcome to annabella and remember to celebrate the strange and keep it unusual bye, bye. And this is the part of the show where we give praise to the all-knowing leaders, supporters of the podcast, and all-around benevolent beings. Spencer W. Christopher Walken once told him his boots were made for walking. And then he held him at gunpoint and demanded his boots. Your boots are made for walking, and I am Christopher Walken. That was bad. That was a great, that was a great walk, Christopher Walken. Thank you. To Tim M, the purveyor of the finest cheeseburger joint in the whole Perseus arm of the Milky Way galaxy. I don't know what that sentence means, but it sounds delicious. I all love a it. cheeseburger. All of it. It's all that matters. Savannah L, a champion of King Arthur's court. To be a part of the court, you must be skilled in the ways of the sword. Always be chivalrous. Defend the good and strike down the bad. But above all else... Never burn popcorn in a microwave. Oh, it's egregious. You cannot do it. Especially if you're like in the office and then the whole office oh smells. God. It's like, ugh. It's like, it never goes away. No, honestly. It's it insane. To Dylan B, who got a new Ouija board for Christmas, tried to use it last night and got some pretty weird messages from the spirit world. Hmm. Lauren R, a spirit that likes to prank people using Ouija boards. Big fan of spelling out, behind you! Oh, I would cry. (laughs) To Kaylee O, who refuses to go swimming in Loch Ness. Not because she's scared of Nessie, but because they once dated the same person, and honestly, it's just kind of weird now. Mm, Yes, I can... Awkward, They both know Craig, and it's just like, they don't want to talk about it, you Mm, know? Yes. Dress H, moved to the largest ranch in Montana last year, sold off all the cattle and horses and set up a hot dog stand, outdoor seating and massive neon signs that read, Intergalactic Rest Stop. Ew, I'd like to go there. Me too. Evan came. He's really just a bunch of little green ghouls in a trench coat. But don't worry, Evan, your secret is safe with us. I knew it! KTT, recently on an intergalactic road trip, stopped off in Montana to visit a new hot dog stand in Montana that was recommended by Guy Fieri. Oh shit, he's been there? Oh, of course he's been there. He's been 
everywhere. He is a delight, isn't he? Love him. Yeah. To Adam came, who thought that he was practicing the dark arts, but as it turns out, he was practicing the dork arts. Oh, no. Yes, now he won't stop yelling Revenge of the Nerds, though, mm. and it's kind of annoying. But who can blame him? Mm, yeah. Christina N., the spooky, scary skeleton. That's right. She is the spooky, scary skeleton of spooky, scary skeleton fame. I love that song. Me too. I think if I ever got married, I'd walk down the aisle to it. It's very catchy. Yes. To Kelsey C., a detective that don't play by the rules. Yeah, she got put on desk duty for unorthodox methods, but she got results. She got the results, damn it. And that's all that truly matters. John S. believes Bigfoots should wear pants. And this is a hill he will die on. So weird, but whatever, I guess. To Caitlin R., who speaks fluent boogeyman. Love inviting Caitlin to sleepovers. She always gets the best gossip from Mr. Boogie. Mm, Mr. Boogie. Thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We're nothing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not even living La Vida Loca because we're so unworthy of it. We can't live La Vida Loca because we're so unworthy. We're unworthy. (laughs) 